Listener Production. Hello, welcome to The Briefing. It is Monday the 7th of February and in this briefing, we're going to go deep on the Beijing Winter Olympics, which are now in full swing. It is full speed ahead at the Winter Olympics now. In the year of the tiger, let the games begin. Now, who better to talk Winter Olympics than our most famous gold medal winning Winter Olympian, Stephen Bradbury. With my coach and my teammates, we decided that, yeah, I would go out and accept the gold medal, but I wasn't accepting it for that race. I was accepting it for the 14 years of hard work in the lead up to that race. In depth with Stephen Bradbury, that's after today's headlines with Katrina Blowers. Australia has gained its first gold medal at the Winter Olympics in 12 years overnight with Jakara Anthony taking out the women's moguls. Is it Australia's time? It is indeed! Jakara Anthony is the Olympic champion! That is so exciting. She's a 23-year-old from Barwon Heads near Geelong in Victoria. And this is what Jakara Anthony had to say after the event. It's really incredible to know that all the hard work I've been putting into my whole skiing career is really paying off and it's just... Yeah, I'm just lost for words. <laughs> that audio is from Seven. So this is Australia's first ever gold medal in this event and Anthony is our sixth Winter Olympic champion ever. Only our sixth. Yeah, I mean, it's just amazing that she got gold, especially in moguls. Like, have you ever seen that event? That's where they're skiing oh through gosh. those hectic bumps and it looks like their knee's about to break with every single turn. <laughs> yep. Yeah, it does. And you've got to wonder how someone from a coastal town even got into that sport in the first place. Well, that's right. That's what you heard in that grab there, that it's all paying off because it's such hard work. You know, she'd be driving up to Falls Creek or, or Hotham a million times throughout the winter, travelling overseas, and finally she's won gold. There was also a bronze yesterday, which is so awesome. Tess Cody. She won the first medal of the game. She won bronze in the women's slope-style snowboarding. And in very disappointing news for downhill skier Katie Parker, she'll miss her giant slalom event after getting COVID. She's hoping she'll still be able to race her other event, which is the women's slalom. And Australia's international borders could soon completely reopen. We've opened to economic cohorts, we've opened to international students. The next phase is to open for tourists. We need to bring those uh, back. So as soon as we can, we will be opening to international tourists. Home Affairs Minister Karen Andrews on the ABC there. So no date has been locked in, but an announcement could be as early as today. And that reopening could happen as early as the end of this month. Yeah, I guess it would exclude WA, but hopefully it would include the rest of the country. So that's going to be discussed in the National Security Committee today in Canberra. And the pollies are all back for a sitting week. And wow, how awkward is the uh, the National and the Liberal Party room meetings going to be? <sighs> After that texting controversy, I mean, they tried Barnaby and Scott Morrison really tried to patch things over across the weekend and say, look, this happened a year ago. Our relationship has really gone to a whole new level since then. But my goodness, you can tell that uh, they're certainly not inviting each other over for barbecues. Yeah, look, initially with the Peter Van Onslen revelations, I thought, look, the general public might read this story and go, well, it's just colleagues bitching about each other. That was, you mm. know, back during the bushfires, whatever. But then to have the deputy prime minister just a year yeah. ago, after working with him for years, call him a liar and a hypocrite, which goes to the heart of the character assessment that's so damning of Scott Morrison. 
The Queen has used her platinum jubilee to announce her sincere wish for Camilla, the Duchess of Cornwall, to be known as Queen Consort when Prince Charles becomes king. Before now, the official intention was that Camilla would be known as the Princess Consort. Normally, she'd automatically become queen when Charles was king, but the question was left open due to uncertainty over public opinion. It's definitely due to that. And I guess this indicates that the Queen is getting ready to to hand over. I mean, she's celebrating 70 years on the throne this week, which makes her the GOAT. She's now officially the longest reigning female monarch of all time. Cleo Smith's parents have spoken out about her ordeal for the first time. She's learning and so are we as to how to go through our days again uh, after everything that's happened. But she's okay. That's Cleo's mother, Ellie, on the Nine Network. They're talking about uh, the ordeal after Terence Darrell Kelly kidnapped her daughter, Cleo, from the Blowholes campsite near Carnarvon. Uh, the Nine Network paid Cleo's parents $2 million for that interview. Yeah, so the big spending interview went to air last night on 60 Minutes and Cleo's mum, Ellie, also said that the four-year-old had been suffering from nightmares in the aftermath of the abduction and that she believes the pink bike outside their tent is what tipped Kelly off that there was a child inside. Yet another very difficult moment for Joe Rogan. The world's biggest podcaster has apologised for using the N-word and more than 70 of his episodes have now been removed from Spotify. My sincere and humble apologies. I wish there was more that I could say, but all of this is just me talking from the bottom of my heart. It makes me sick watching that video. So this is in response to a video um, that surfaced over the weekend. It was a compilation of Joe Rogan using the slur many times in episodes that go back 12 years. Instead of saying the N-word, I would just say the word. I thought as long as it was in context, people would understand what I was doing. As you can hear, he was uh, trying to explain the context for his choice of words, but it did come with an unreserved apology. Uh, Not so great, Tom, that uh, Dwayne Johnson over the weekend issued a tweet pulling support of Joe Rogan. He had been a chief supporter of his after the COVID misinformation scandal. It's been a very tough couple of weeks for Joe Rogan. I mean, he used to operate basically with almost no rules, but since he's been on Spotify and since that um, enormous amount of money has been paid to him, and then I guess, yeah, the, the COVID controversy really has drawn him into sort of the focus and a lot of criticism. Um, he's got a whole new level of accountability and he's you mm. know, clearly having to make some changes, do some rethinking. Um, you know, the, the two sort of apology statements he's made, though, have been fairly... They seem pretty honest, sincere yeah. and open. So he clearly is open to to change and, I guess, rethinking what he does. All right, we mentioned uh, a fresh gold medal for the Australian Winter Olympics team, but we're going to go back to the guy who won our first ever Olympic gold medal at the Winter Olympics. Now, huge love from the team here at The Briefing to the 44 Australian Winter Olympians who are competing in the Beijing Winter Games. So exciting for those of us that love winter sports and for people who aren't that familiar, there's all these really interesting sports that we don't really see much of normally in Australia. Because we're not necessarily a big winter sport nation, the sacrifices that these athletes have to make are just absolutely huge. So much travel, 
and expense, time away from loved ones. And one person who knows a lot about sacrifice is Stephen Bradbury. And it's 20 years ago since this happened. The Chinese skater on the outside. Oh, and it's a lot of contact. Oh, they've all gone down. Bradbury is going to come through and win gold. Stephen Bradbury from the tail of the field. The Australian has crossed the line first. So that was that incredibly inspiring gold medal winning moment from Stephen Bradbury. And he's been giving inspirational speeches about that. But also, as you're about to find out, the years of pain, even blood, that went into that moment. Stephen Bradbury, great to have you on the briefing. How do you feel as the Olympics kick off again? It's amazing. I'm like a kid in a candy store every four years when the Winter Olympics come around and can't wait for the opening ceremony to kick off and the events to get underway. And I guess you you understand what sort of headspace the athletes are in and it's very different to other sports because we're not such a winter sport nation. A lot of these athletes have been training in, in Europe and America and training off in their own little bubble for something that's so huge and then suddenly hits a global audience. Yeah, and it's incredibly exciting from an athlete perspective when you're training in anonymity for so mm. many years and then you get to go on the biggest stage in the world and everyone wants to know what you've been up to, how you're going to go, and it's what you've put all that work in for for so long. And to go on the biggest stage in the world and compete against the best people and see how you travel, you know, that's what an athlete lives for. And, you know, you don't often get that measuring stick in other areas of life. Sometimes people can be fantastic at their job and not even get a pay rise. But when you're an athlete, you know where you're positioned in the world. And sometimes it's heartbreaking at the Olympics. Other times there's medals and it's fantastic. So with your story, there's so much I think that people don't realize in terms of the backstory that put you in that position to sail through and win that gold medal. And the main thing people often don't know about is the the injuries you had in the years leading up to it, including fracturing your vertebrae just two years before. So tell us what you went through to actually be in that position to win that gold. I don't think anybody gets to an elite level in in anything without having a pretty solid backstory. You know, and for me, I competed at the Winter Olympics four times. That was Mm. my fourth Olympics in Salt Lake City. Uh, I had a guy's blade go clean through my leg earlier in my career and I almost bled to death. I lost three quarters of my blood in 60 seconds and ended up with 131 stitches in my leg. And 18 months before I got the gold medal, I went headfirst into the barrier in a training crash in Brisbane and broke my neck, fractured the C4, C5 and and C6 vertebrae and had a halo brace screwed into my skull for two and a half months. You know, so I had my shares of ups and downs in my sporting career and there's no question that I'm the luckiest individual Olympic gold medalist in sporting history. However, I was the person to put myself in that position to capitalise when things went wrong for my competition. Mm. And I had to skate the house down to get through the heats, the quarters and the semifinals to put myself in that Olympic final. And I wasn't as good as those guys in that Olympic final. But and I think there's a lesson in there for any kids who are listening that if you're willing to give all of yourself to something and become elite, then you don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, it's amazing the career you've had since then. You've become a motivational speaker and I can hear why, by the way, you're speaking now. But it's amazing that, you know, so many years on, people still want to hear your message. 
Why do you think your story has resonated so much? Yeah, I question that too. It's been <laughs> 20 years since the gold medal and sometimes I think surely people have moved on from that race now and they don't want to hear about it anymore, but they do. You know, the saying that's now used frequently by all generations is doing a Bradbury. That saying has morphed into its own vernacular, into the Australian language. And, and I've heard young people use that in the right context and not even know who I am. And I was right there standing next to them. <laughs> well, I just walked away chuckling on the inside going, wow, that's pretty cool that they know how to use that saying in context where someone had a bit of luck to win something. But there's more to it than that because most people realise that luck doesn't come without a lot of preparation and a lot of hard work. Yeah, totally. Were there moments where you didn't feel so comfortable with that story where maybe even you got sick of it years later or, or when it first happened, you weren't sure how to process it and what, what people were really seeing in you when they talked about that story? Early on, 100%. Initially, I didn't even know if I wanted to accept the gold medal. I wasn't sure if I was going out onto the podium at all. You know, I was sitting with my coach and my teammates in the change room and the place was going nuts. Everyone wanted to pat me on the back and, you know, people couldn't fit the Australian team change room at the Winter Olympics. It's pretty small. Hmm. But uh, with my coach and my teammates, we decided that, yeah, I would go out and accept the gold medal, but I wasn't accepting it for that race. I was accepting it for the 14 years of hard work in the lead up to that race. Yeah. And so what's it like... Now, you said you're super excited to watch the Olympics and tonight the speed skating is happening. For, for those of us who, I guess, only see these kind of sports once every four years, what can you tell us? What should we look out for? How do we sort of really engage with these sports that are new to so many of us, including the, the speed skating? Yeah, well, you can have a look online if you go to olympics.com or, and, uh, and get the sport explainers on there. Or, you know, go to the, the seven services and have a look at what our Olympic team is on, on the Australian Olympic Committee website. But, yeah, the speed skating, the short track and the long track are on. We've got a skater by the name of Brendan Corey who's competing in the men's 500 and 1,000 metre events. And he's pretty darn good. You know, he's probably not a strong chance for a medal. He's a top 10 guy. And, you know, in my sport, if things go your way, strange things can happen and, <laughs> you know, Speed skating is an amazing sport, one that I grew up with since I was a kid. And, you know, when you're watching the the long track version where the skaters are skating against the clock and it's 400 metres per lap, that's not my sport. My sport is short track where the skaters race against each other and it's on a, a hockey-sized rink where it's 111 metres a lap. So the purest form of speed skating is the long track. That's been around forever and, you know, that's predominantly ruled by the Dutch where it's a national sport and 80% of the population know how to speed skate. Yeah, wow. Now, I spoke to another former Winter Olympian, Steve Lee. I went skiing with him in Japan a few years ago. Um, sadly, he's been struggling with a, a stroke since then. So heart goes out to Steve and his family. I asked him, what was it like being an Aussie, being in that scene? So he was going to Europe every winter and training up there. And he said two things. One, it made me hungrier being a winter sports person in Australia because it was just so much more challenging. But two, I got to do both seasons. He would do Falls Creek and train there, but then he would go to Europe and ski there whole winter as well. So he actually said that ironically for being a winter sports person in Australia, he saw it as an advantage, not a disadvantage. Yeah, well, that's one way to look at it. And I think it depends on the event uh, because 
some of our disciplines simply don't have any of the facilities. Some of the Olympic disciplines we don't have. We don't have a ski jump. We don't have a long track rig. We don't have a bobsled run. So it probably depends on the sport there. And for me, we have ice rinks in Australia and I spent eight months of the year training in Brisbane and the ice conditions weren't amazing, but I was competing against the world. To me, it didn't matter where I finished in the Australian Championships. There wasn't you know, too much competition in speed skating in this country. But by no means is the Australian Winter Olympic team anymore in the Eddie the Eagle Jamaican bobsled category. And it's guys like Stephen Lee, Danny Carr, Colin Coates, Kirsty Marshall, Jackie Cooper. The list goes on and on that you know have really put Australian winter sports on the map. And um, we've got 44 athletes in Beijing and realistically probably 12 to 14 of them are medal chances in their events. So Australia, don't change that TV because we could win a bucket load of medals in Beijing. Yes, that is a great way to finish. Stephen, awesome to speak to you for the first time, hear more about your story and that you still got the passion for the winter sports. Thanks so much for your time. Too easy, Tom. That is the one and only Stephen Bradbury, gold medal winning Olympian with an incredible story and such an uplifting message and great to hear him getting behind the athletes competing in Beijing at the moment. Tomorrow on The Briefing, uh, a recap on the City Point College scandal. They eventually backflipped on that controversial conflict. We'll also talk about the religious discrimination bill that's dividing politicians in Canberra at the moment. Listener.